0: Today's sponsor of the SHI podcast is Carter Young. For those of you who may not know about Carter Young, which I can only assume you are brand new to student housing or you've been living under a dorm for the past 20 years, Carter Young is a debt recovery firm based in Georgia who has been specializing in debt recovery related to college students for over two decades. They even operate their call center out of Athens, Georgia, because they wanted to employ people who understand the student journey in order to give them a better chance of collecting from your student residents who end up owing you a balance after they move out. They also provide training programs to your on-site staff and review your operating methods to make sure everything is being done to prevent bad debt from happening. Now, how many debt recovery services do that? If you're not using Carter Young, I can guarantee you're leaving money on the table. Visit them at carter-young.com or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today as co-host is one of the most caring people in the world, (laughs) Greta Dare. my God. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Greta.
1: Oh, I feel like every single time like you introduce me in some like I'm never I'm never I'm never ready. I'm never ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's really just been on my mind lately because there there's just been uh, things just kind of been a whirlwind around me for ever since the beginning of the year. And, you know, I think about the <laughs> the two people who have just been this past year have just really consistently been there for for me professionally and and my family and everything. And you are certainly one of those people at the top of that list. <laughs> I wanted to just surprise you really quick and and thank you for being one of the most caring people, at least in my world.
1: Literally still wildly uncomfortable. So <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome
0: well hey you have been on a hiatus from this podcast for a while and for audience members who don't know greta went back to college and she has just been flying through classes and and have been getting amazing grades i'm assuming you got a 4.0 again last semester from what i remember
1: i did i did do that yes So, I'm just gonna keep being uncomfortable. We're gonna keep with this train. I like it. It's good. It's good. Well, Girls I know
0: character. that. <laughs> I know that. Sorry to to make you uncomfortable. I know we've had to be on the on the receiving side of the sacrifices that <laughs> you've had to make. <laughs> Everything had to
1: go. Yes.
0: Yeah, but uh, and the audience has missed you every time. You know, all these events that we go to, everybody's asking me. So where's Greta? Her, where's Greta been on the podcast? I haven't heard from her. <laughs>
1: where's her annoying voice and her never ending screeching laugh? <laughs> Where is the human that makes fun of you for literally all the things? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
1: I know, right? How do you stay humble without me?
0: <laughs> oh, it's, uh, Listen. Uh, you know
1: <laughs> we, we we make
0: it through Greta we do <laughs> but no i mean it's it's seriously between uh you know between both yourself and Kristen Hahn who's our director of marketing it is both of you guys are just some of the most caring people in the world and uh, you yeah, know i can tell you without a doubt I, this past year it would have been very tough Getting through a lot of the things that we were able to do here at SHI if it wasn't for for both of you guys. And um, so, anyway, just wanted to say thank you for that.
1: Well, thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. All right. All right.
0: So, we are back today with another one of these. A lot of recording things that we've been <laughs> doing. We did one. I at,
1: love this one too. I love, love, love this one.
0: We did one at IMN conference uh, out in California uh, back at the beginning of the year. Uh, love doing that one. I uh, had Matt Maxa from CA Ventures and Jerry Wajinski from Foresty. And we also had from Scion Group, we had Mitchell Smith, and was uh, just loved what we were able to get out of that in, in relationship to, you know, what everybody's thinking about for 2020. And coming away from that, there was a, another conference that was coming up that was on our radar. But we decided, look, we've just got a lot that's going on. Timing's not the best. Uh, so the, this conference was going on in New Orleans. I'm not going to mention it specifically because we don't do any cross-promotion. Uh, but it's a, it's an industry event that we've talked about, you know, before on the, on the podcast and I just wasn't going to be able to make it. And I had one of the sponsors reach out and say, Hey, are you going to, are you going to do something for this event? We you know really got a lot out of the last one. And I said, no, nah, I, you know, I think it's, I think that's going to be tough. They asked again and we had somebody else ask and I said, okay, well, let's see if we can put something together. And Bless Kristen's heart, <laughs> but she, she was able to, we were able to figure something out. We weren't going to be able to go to the conference because it was going to be a drive down, drive back type of thing. But we could you know, do something for one of the evenings of the conference. And she was able literally within a week to put together just a fantastic event at a fantastic venue. And, and we really, really enjoyed the dinner. Really enjoyed the folks that came out to see us. Um, thank you so much to to those who mentioned to me who either saw me in the neighborhood of where this conference was happening or, or at the venue that we had that you know told us how much they appreciate what we're doing at Student Housing Insight. You guys just don't understand how much that means to to us, and really gives us a lot of purpose behind what we're doing. So uh thanks for for all the kind of words that people said about that but yeah we were able to to put something together and we said okay live podcast topics what are we going to do and two of my favorite people and two of my favorite <laughs> companies uh Eddie Moreno with Cardinal Group and then also Brad Hastings with Walter Campus which probably a lot of our audience doesn't know anything about Walter Campus uh, I'll kind of give a setup here in a little bit but they are They've got a national footprint, but only about, and they're only in nine markets, and only have about three thousand beds. But they're just doing some incredible stuff. I'll talk more about them in in just a second. But as we were looking at who was going to be attending and and who was going to be present down in New Orleans, we said, you know, this th- these two groups actually make a lot of sense. These two guys and and what you know their careers have been about. This kind of makes perfect sense because. A lot of the folks that they're that attending there were non- top twenty five student housing companies. They either have a regional footprint or just a single market footprint, and you know because of that they don't have a lot of the same training that the bigger you know top twenty five certainly the top ten companies put in place and a lot of the other resources so they they get really scrappy when it comes to <laughs> to soaking up information and content. And I think their, their entire trip having Student Housing Insight there to, to do this event really enhanced that entire experience. So, wow, that was a lot that I just <laughs> finished saying.
1: I know. I was sitting there and I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, okay, okay, yes. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but no, in, in response to at least a portion of that was, I completely agree. I think that the combination of these two people was kind of the perfect pair for this particular subject, because I think that in a lot of instances, we find that on panels, especially at a lot of the conferences, for a large portion of our industry, not all of the information is applicable. It's not all something that you can just take back, you can implement, or you, that you can utilize. And I think that The great, great thing, and this is something that I was thinking about while I was sitting there listening, is that... You know, it's not it it is partially that walk to campus is their size. And then also Cardinal, I mean, it was right when I got started into student housing is apparently when Eddie started with Cardinal, but their size that they were and then their growth as they went forward. So everything that they speak to, everything that they experience, everything that they know is completely applicable to all of these companies. And I love that. Um, So it's just it's, it's a lot of great information and a great pair, I think.
0: Yeah, they've they've both been on a even at, at you know varying speeds. They've they've had nothing but growth over the past decade, and you know I think it's something that when you're looking at a company that year after year consistently is is getting bigger and is getting better, it, it's a good time to to sit back and and listen to it. And you have to be really careful with that in this industry because, you know, we've certainly seen, you know, in the past decade, a lot of companies that came onto the scene, had a lot of growth um, in a very short amount of time. And those companies aren't even around to talk about today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seeing seeing these two companies who have got started 15, 16 years ago and are still here and, and building something that's pretty incredible, I think that... That says a lot. So, uh, so uh, let me give everybody the setup. You know, regardless if you work with large purpose built student housing communities or uh, a portfolio of single family homes that are next to universities, Greta, one that comes to my mind immediately, and you and I were talking a little bit about it. Things like you know Morgantown, West Virginia, where there was you know the first like
1: oh, three
0: yeah the first like three or four kind of blocks right around that university is you know single family homes that are that are second third fourth generation that've just kind of been handed down uh, who knows if they've ever been turned <laughs> um and, and there's a lot of that that is that, that's throughout this industry that you know mm-hmm. we typically call the shadow market but
1: Syracuse you know, is like that. Oxford, um, Ohio is like that. There's a lot of markets where the single family homes are the market.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're going to walk away from from this episode hearing, you know, and and having a better understanding of, of what it really takes to grow a portfolio from one single single family home. Because both of these companies, that's what they did. Um, their first investment was a single family home. And both of these companies are now managing national portfolios, as I mentioned. Uh, Eddie's perspective is, is more from the mid to large purpose-built assets with you know, a combination of owned properties as well as third-party owners. Brad's perspective is more of a you know, boutique, scattered sites, business model that's combining single-family homes with small and mid-sized purpose, purpose-built communities. Which is all owner-managed. You know, there's no third party in what they're currently doing.
1: Which I'm so here for. (laughs) (laughs) Really, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, uh, both of these guests really have a passion for serving students and and have built scalable business models by creating well-thought-out, let's call it operating practices. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also great company culture. And as you and I have talked about, as we were getting ready for this, they both have pretty unique approaches to to their management technology yes. as well. So um, with all that being said, let me go ahead and push play on this again. This is Eddie Moreno from Cardinal Group Management, as well as Brad Hastings from Walter Campus Properties. So guys, let, let me preface this a little bit. I, and looking and thinking about what's been going on in, in student housing over the past two decades since I've been involved, and, and um, both of these guys to my, to my left and right have been involved the past two decades as well, there's, there's a kind of a difference that I see happening, or, or that has always been there, but now that, now that student housing has become something a little bit more mainstream and, and very accepted, especially from the investment world um, and what we see with PBSH there's there's kind of this original part of student housing that I think a lot of us originally came from that is more of the um, more of the boutique uh, scattered sites uh, that type of that type of business that is still out there and is very prevalent and and Brad from Walt to campus and I'll let him tell you a little bit about what his company has done, but they've kind of worked on uh, from that standpoint. Then on the other side, Eddie, who's been involved with PBSH throughout his career, is uh, you know more mid to large size companies. And so I really wanted to get these two guys together to kind of talk about the differences because they've they've both been scaling their company and have got some great things that are happening, both from a, a culture standpoint with their companies, and, and just the focus that both of these guys and their companies have got on what they're doing, um, I think is, uh, at least from my observation, and I've known these guys and their companies for several years now, it's very crystal clear, and I think there's a lot that we can, that we can learn from it. So, so that's kind of the, the setup. Just real quick, by a show of hands, how many people are less than 10,000 bed portfolios that are here? Anybody over 10,000 beds? Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, everybody that's over ten thousand beds is with Entrada or RealPage tonight. <laughs> so, so, Brad, I'm going to start off with you. Um, you're not only the the COO, but a co-founder for Walden Campus. Uh, tell us about that entrepreneurial journey that you guys have been, you know, part of the past fifteen years or so, and and give us kind of a, a projection on what you guys are are, are moving towards now.
2: Uh, I'm done projecting. <laughs> anything relative to growth but um you know what the campus kind of was born out of another company that myself and our ceo uh, matt king were involved in back in the late 90s early early 2000 and that was a <clears throat> a company that was providing telecom services to off-campus student housing so you can't believe it but there was a time where there was not high-speed internet off campus and people actually dialed up um, i went to school back then Um, Dinosaurs run to land and things like that. And there was a little company in the town that I went to school in that was extending the university network off campus, wiring up these complexes and providing uh, high-speed internet phone and cable. And I went to work for them. That's where I met Matt. He was our investment banker at the time and um, became our CFO. And that company went and got sold. Neither he nor I particularly wanted to go with that. So he's like, you know what? I'm spending a lot of time talking to owners of, of off-campus student housing. This is, again, we'll late 90s. some water if, if we oh, can I'm always fine. edit. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I got a cold and a cough drop. And, uh, you know, one thing we've noticed is that people aren't really paying attention to these tier two, tier three markets. And, you know, let's build a company that's sole focus is location, not product, and that is going to go into these schools that no one is really paying attention to. Um, and that brought us to Longwood University in Virginia. And we can't keep... Eddie to come in from to Farmville and building student housing, but we can certainly be in fr- inside of them because we can get there first and and so on. So that was 15 years ago. Um, that model sort of worked, and we expanded it very organically over the last 15 years. And, you know, we now have 3,000 beds in um, nine different markets.
0: I think that's kind of the, the unique thing about it is 3,000 beds over non-markets. When you're looking at going into a new market, kind of what's the – What's the first thing that you're looking for? Uh, you know, what what does it take to get you guys having you guys plant a flag in a in a market?
2: You know, I think that <clears throat> location has to be relevant. There has to be some sort of competitive advantage to being close. Um, I think you lose that in some markets when there really is no pedestrian. The campus student housing people call themselves pedestrian, but you're still on a bus line, or yeah, um, you're not. The people you, you know, you parked your car across the street from that property. Are people truly walking to school? Are they biking to school, or are they walking out the door and going to the bus stop? And you know, once that happens, you sort of, you know, to a certain extent, lose a little bit of that um, advantage, you know, relative to location. So, um, you know, that that would be primarily one of the things I would think about. There has to be certain you know, growth trajectory, the school, and you know, some other factors that you think about. But um, you know, that that, for instance, sort of comes to mind as being the the first thing.
0: So. Uh, Eddie, you know we had Cardinals CEO Del DeWitt on the uh, podcast. I guess probably year, year and a half ago at this point, um, and yeah, he did a great job of describing how those, uh, you know, four or five founders of the original uh, of the original company came together and you know put their money together to buy their first. It was a it was a house, was the there. the first asset that they actually purchased and. You came in a little bit after that, as they obviously started to grow, and and we've had you on the podcast as well, discussing you know kind of your own journey in our site level to C suite. We'll link both of those episodes below so that um, people can go back and take a look at that. But take us back to when you joined Cardinal, and, and besides the growth of the portfolio, tell us how how you've seen that portfolio evolve.
3: Yeah sure. So um, just for a little bit of a, a background, when I joined, first joined Cardinal it was two thousand thirteen. Call it uh, May June uh, two thousand thirteen. At that time, the portfolio was primarily a known asset portfolio. Um, it was a couple of conventional un- uh, uh, communities. You know, call it three four hundred units um, and about twenty five hundred student beds. Uh, the four founding principals really knew that they they had a couple things. Uh, one, they had an operating platform at the beginning of it. Uh, that, that was something special that they wanted to expand to the market and offer the services that they thought were unique to our operating platform at that point and, and take it uh, more broadly. Second, secondly, um, they knew that they weren't always going to be net buyers. And so uh, as, as those of you in the management game know, it takes a pretty substantial portfolio to be able to support uh, a, a management platform and, and management team. And so that's really where my journey started with Cardinal. I uh, joined the company in in 2013. Uh, at the same time, we we started uh, our really our third party business, and since then we've grown to 60,000 beds. Um, we're now the number two uh, privately held third party operator, number five overall. So from a size perspective, obviously that's been a pretty significant growth. But I would say the 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 profile of client that we've had has changed dramatically. In those early years in the third-party space, we were doing a lot of one-off JV ownership style structures. You know, then you know we we started working with a lot of private equity shops, uh, a lot of the names that that people in this room are familiar with, um, and then started working with more institutional clients, um, some international clients. Uh, also, raised our own uh, uh, opportunistic student housing fund and started buying assets ourselves. So, uh, the profile and and. Um, of not only the assets but the clients have changed tremendously. As we've grown and scaled, our value proposition to the market has changed uh, dramatically. I think back in the early days, when I at least when I started, we were known as really kitschy marketers, and we were really like creative marketing uh, folks, and that's what we were getting hired for. Um, and then somewhere along the way, we became a, a strategic partner in that we. As a company, like to fancy ourselves as really good at blocking and tackling, doing the right things right, and I think generally the mix of those things have carried us through a lot of our growth uh, over the last several years. And um, those are those are some of the ways that our portfolio has has changed our our client profile and our value proposition to the market.
0: Gotcha. So I want to get into it's a little bit more of the specifics with what you, what you guys are doing as companies to to scale and lead towards lead towards a lot of growth. Let's let's talk about technology for a second because both of you guys have done some incredible things from a technology side from the beginning really. Brad, you guys have actually done something very unique which is you created your own property management system. <laughs> I want to ask and a lot of times I get asked, you know, what's the best property management system out there? You know, as a consultant, kind of what you know, what's my input on that and my response is i I can't talk walk to campus into selling their software um (laughs) and and then you know i go into the ones that actually you know do box it up and sell it so uh, for as you saw the hands earlier we've got a lot of folks that are that are smaller in size and they've probably considered that at some point in time but uh, you know from your perspective now that it's 15 16 years later what kind of advice would you give, or would you tell I people to stay I, away from it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, if I had to give advice to the Brad of two thousand and four, I would tell him to build his own software.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, we we kind of had to back then. Entrada wasn't around. I think it was Yardy Real Page. They wouldn't even sell it to us because again, we were buying houses. Yeah. Um, and the way they licensed it, it was just not economically viable to um, to use their product. So we had to build our own. And my background was in computer science, so I basically just kind of got to work and um, built the first version of it and we just added people added development resources over the years and have continued to add features and, and functionality to it to really you know, to what we want the, the great thing about it is that you know my staff can come and say, hey, it would be really great if we can do this and I don't have to put in a feature request with any of those big box companies, we just do it um, if it makes sense and there's consensus that it makes sense so um, it's been it's been nice. It keeps us nimble. We don't have to, you know, uh, we don't have to operate our business the way and try to, you know, anybody thinks that we should. We can operate our business the way we think we should and build the software to support it. And I think that has in itself has created a a little bit of a competitive advantage potentially.
0: Yeah, um, Eddie, with with you guys, I know uh, you know with all transparency, I do asset management as well, and two of the properties that I do asset management for cardinal is is the uh, third party manager on that and i know you guys rolled out a huge investment into your business analytics reporting and um everything that goes in into that tell us a little bit about that process and you know would you recommend it again <laughs> i don't think you, i don't think you've really got a choice but you know what <laughs> what, what are some things you would warn, warn people uh, you know going through that process
3: yeah, I would say um, you hear this all the time that 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 whether it's a software or a data platform or a new reporting suite or a new workflow, um, if you don't have organizational buy-in top to bottom in a in a very three dimensional way, you're, you're going to fail at whatever that that release is, right? And so, uh, over the years, we've tried to get very um, objective about that process we 've tried to take emotion we 've tried to take personality we 've tried to take ego and title, and all of those things that come along with making big decisions out of the process and so that would be one of my big recommendations to folks is first know what you want to achieve with whatever platform it is that you're you 're trying to implement understand the organizational behavior changes the the performance results the competitive differentiation, whatever it is that you are trying to effectuate with that investment, understand what that is and stay true to that. And by staying true to that, I mean implement a process, a selection process that involves people up and down the organization that is objective in that it has scoring to it, that it's comparable to where you're actually vetting the market, and By utilizing that process, you'll naturally come to the best decision, you'll limit shiny objects that can be distractions to the company, and you'll make sure that you understand what it really takes to actually implement something. Oftentimes, you decide on the implementation cost and your perceived value add, but you don't understand the back-end cost of development and consultation and team member support Outside of your existing team, and those are the real investments that you have to commit yourself to in order to actually make a platform successful, whether it 's business intelligence or an operating system or, or you name it, whatever it may be
0: so one thing going through that process and, and with you know the various type of clients that you 've got what was what was kind of the toughest part of trying to get whatever because you 've got some you know institutional type owners along yeah. with you know, folks that may only have three or four different properties, and uh, you know, I'd like to ask you which one had more or, or more stringent reporting requirements. But uh, you know, I know personally that I think the smaller they are, they probably got more requirements or more more desires. But what was? I, I'm just thinking about having to go through that process and, you know, trying to put everything together of, okay, here's the list of everything that we need. Anything with that process that you can kind of...
3: Yeah, I would say that that generally speaking, the the entire industry is getting more sophisticated. And, and, and that, that quite honestly includes the investment side of the business. Um, the, the average, you know, two, three, four community owner that does JV one-off communities, yeah, they're going to require more of your time. And yes, they're going to require, you know, uh, their own style of nuanced questions and reporting requirements or whatever it may be. But so are the, so are the big shops, right? And so what we have to do in making those decisions and, and quite honestly, getting their buy-in after we've, we've, we've messaged to them, here's what we've decided on implementing. Um, we, have to, we have to get down to the core things that any owner would want to know. And 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 this is more of a science than an art these days, quite honestly. We're moving a lot more towards the science than we are in art. And, and our individual companies allow us to, to kind of implement the artistic side of how we individually operate. But the variables that affect community operations on the leasing side, on the collection side, on bad debt and R&M spend or whatever it may be, we're – Every single year getting more and more able to, to dial those things in. And so being able to show our clients that we're thoughtful in what we're able to report to them via a platform and and know that we're hitting 80% of what clients will want and then we can deal with the nuanced requests on the side is something that we employ as as just kind of uh you can't have paralysis by analysis or you can't let the 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 perfect get in the way of the necessary sometimes you have to be able to message something to your clients and say yes we were thoughtful we're going to hit 80 percent of everything you need and then we'll work on the details kind of on the margin and and that allows us to actually move our platform forward um, without having to get approval from every single client along the way
0: gotcha Gotcha. So let, let's talk about the element that, that really makes all this work. And that's, that's the people and, and, and the folks that you guys have, you know, on the ground at each of your sites and, and in those support roles, you know, I've saw, I've seen both of your companies grow, you know, certainly over the past decade and have just been really amazed at how you guys have been able to, to retain folks and, and, and grow folks into making this a career. Um, Talk a little bit about each of you. You know what? What would you attribute that that success and talent management to?
2: I don't know. We know. We actually talked about this the other night, and um we were sitting as a executive team, or whatever. And and we were like, oh, you know what? Why have it been ten years and we still kind of like each other? why do we like working with yeah. each other? And like, cause I'm not really that great of a person and neither are you. And, uh, but we do, I mean, we're at a point where we're finishing each other's sentences. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it's special, but I don't, I, I don't know what the recipe is. Frankly, it's, it's certainly not to hire people just like you. Cause that doesn't work. Um, but, uh, you know, just have a general respect for one another. Find people, not a whole lot of egos, egos. I don't think there's a lot of room for those in growing organizations. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I don't know if I know the answer.
3: I would say um, I, I think we're known for for our culture, but what is that? I think is is an interesting question. And I would say that two things come to mind when I'm answering that question. One one is engagement, and and the other is accountability. And I'll talk about accountability first. Um, oftentimes, when we talk about accountability, we immediately jump to the team member's accountability to the company, which is, are you fulfilling the roles and responsibilities of the job that we are paying you to do every single you know, two weeks? And and that's all well and good, but when I think of accountability, I also think about the other side of, of that coin, right? It's, it's, it's two sides of the same river. Um, the other side of it, which isn't talked about often in organizations, is the accountability of the organization to the team member. And more and more, when we talk about millennials or Gen Z, and and what people in the workforce these days need out of the the the, the work that they're doing, we, we really try to hold ourselves accountable to that. And um, that'll actually maybe be a segue to the engagement piece. When when um, our our VP of, of people and culture, Peter Lynch, just sent me a, a report from Qualtrics that. Was, was really a satisfaction survey, but it, it was judging two things it was judging retention um, and engagement and um, it was interesting to see that the top three in each of those categories were the same three things effectively they were worded differently, but trust in leadership, the ability to be to, to learn new things and to be developed, and a direct correlation with that person's roles and responsibilities to the strategic uh, objectives of the company. And so we try to going back to my first point on on our accountability to our team members, we try to be very programmatic and disciplined about not only communicating out what our road roadmap is and how we came to decisions or what decisions we came to but but how we came to them and then you know we're not we 're running a business on a democracy at the end of the day, but we we really involve our people um, as subject matter experts and 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 create these project teams that that allow for the subject matter experts to lead the conversations versus the titles in the room, and having that level of uh, opportunity, onus, expectation of our team members really solicits engagement. And at the end of the day, we hope uh, you know allows us to to retain the right people uh, for as long as we're lucky to have them.
0: Great. So let's let's jump into the operating practices because I think there's there's a lot that you guys do that are that are the same. I think there's a lot that you guys that do that are, are very different, and I'm going, to go, I'm going to go about this a little bit differently and and ask you what you would change today if it was 100% up to you, and you had the capability of instituting the change overnight. Brad, that's probably a little bit easier. No, I'm going guys. first. I'm going first. <laughs> well, I was going Ex- say. Expense reports. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
3: I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's probably a little bit easier with Brad because everything's 100% owned and it's easy to make that decision. <laughs> so, um, But anyway, thinking about your policy and procedures manuals, uh, there's likely something in there that you know you think is a complete waste of paper, paper or digital ink. What would you cut out tomorrow?
2: I mean, uh, these policies and procedure books tend to grow in one direction. That's bigger, right? Yeah. Because you come across something in the business. You're like, oh, didn't think we'd have to address that, but I guess we've got to write a page about it now yeah. because, you know, someone did something they weren't supposed to do or acted a the way they weren't supposed to act. So, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you kind of wish that you didn't have to do some of this, these, write these policies, write these procedures that, you know, should just be innate in how people treat each other and operate on a day-to-day basis yeah. in a business world. So that's the stuff. I mean, you just kind of, you know, there's certain things that, you know, you just wish you didn't have to address because it would just be innate in people, but unfortunately
3: it's not. And you do. I in in preparing for this I actually had our training team pull the SOPs that were utilized the least. And quite honestly, I'm glad some of them were utilized the least. They were about emergencies and deaths of a resident and um, escalation policies and things like that. And as I was thinking through that, I was thinking They're there for a reason, and they're there when you need them. So, looking at at that in that way is is not the right way to look at it. But in thinking about that, I thought, well, we do have uh, SOPs and things that are not utilized because of the fact that they were one or two iterations ago. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we I'll I'll use an example when we wrote our commission submission policy, it was when we were five hundred team members. Now we're fifteen hundred. It, it That requires a completely different platform to be able to do that effectively and not waste people's time, and most importantly, get it right. And so things like that are things that we have identified that are SOP related um, and platform related, systems related that um, we're you know actively you know pursuing in, in a list of just open projects that we need to chew away at. Gotcha.
0: So, when you think about the current process a prospect goes through to lease at one of your properties, where do you see the most inefficiency and how would you think uh, it can be changed? I mean, for us, again, being scattered site house folks
2: for 40% of our portfolio, we don't have a model. So, touring is a challenge. You know, there's notification of the current residents, making sure the times align with the leads, making sure that you have a in house resource to be able to meet them out there and do it we don 't you, know, you can 't just show up at our office in some of these markets and expect to go see the apartment that you want to rent yeah. so um, that takes a lot of human resource and time and is a is a challenge when you 're doing the kind of stuff we 're doing
3: Ed? yeah I think that we 're uh, one i would say the entire process right we the, the entire leasing process soup to nuts is relatively inefficient at least as You would think of what is the standard in this day and age, and that includes even the fact that you're applying online and you're signing your signing your lease online and and those type of things. I think that when we look at the 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 buying habits of the consumers that we're selling to, the they're they're making heavy decisions, heavy buying decisions in their personal lives, and obviously their housing is is a big one as well and. Uh, when we think about that soup to nuts purchasing process, it, it can range anywhere from seven days, 14 days, 21 days, depending on the time of year, depending on the demographic. And so one of the things that we're focused on is really compressing that time from somebody becoming an active lead to actually a uh, you know signed and sealed uh, future resident. Um, and and a lot of that has to do with the the experience. So we're trying to do things functionally within our systems, within our the automation of our workflows to help consolidate that. But then we're also uh, exploring other alternatives like self guided tours and AI bots that allow you to effectively conversate on a twenty four hour basis. And that's the way of the world, right? That's the way it's going. And and I think that as more communities are developed in the physical Uh, layouts allow for self-guided tours and all of the limited access and things like that that they would need that the autonomy of the actual leasing process will continue to be something that the entire industry not just student housing uh trends towards
0: gotcha yeah i'm interested in seeing how that ultimately falls out um because i think obviously the people make a lot but in brad you and i have even had discussions on you know, centralizing things and and seeing how that ends up playing into, you know, if you've got more experienced people that are in a centralized leasing office, you know, does that have more of an impact on you know closing ratios and everything else? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that ends up going. So <clears throat> everyone here, raise your hand if you've if you've been on site during a turn, like managing a turn. Great, so um I think there's there's always something that we would like to change during turn and or or to make turn easier and, and thinking of of the two different property types that you guys are involved with, I know that turn is is very different, so thinking about that, what are one possibly two items that you're trying to overcome in order to make turn easier and less expensive? um I would say that eliminating transfer tenants
2: would be the one that we would hope to go after you know um again products very unique people want to move from one place house to the one to down the street house, yeah. but they can't move down until tenant A moves and tenant B can't move till tenant C moves and you know you could get a situation where you got double triple transfers yeah. so we actually have built some logic into our operating system where if you try to assign a lease to a apartment that creates a double or triple transfer it'll
0: flag it and say <sighs>
2: Don't do that so for nice. our, <laughs> the sanity of our on-site team, please.
3: <laughs> nice. Anything else? That's it? Um, I, I would say uh, treat turn as a, as a risk mitigation exercise in that you kind of have to think about everything that can go wrong um, and then anticipate it and try to mitigate that through timely planning, through resources. Um you know, one thing that we 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 see all the time, uh, and, and really we, we put the challenge to our portfolio managers and our community managers who are negotiating the budgets is the expectation that our on-site facilities teams are going to handle everything, and I mean everything from trash outs to moving all the the furniture that's that's being tossed to installing and assembling all the furniture that's coming in to everything else that they have to do. And so, what we try to do is articulate as as to to whatever degree we need to all of the components of turn that our teams need to budget for and then compel our owners to make sure that we're not cutting everything that we need from overtime to supplies to capital and furniture and whatever it may be so that we're not having to cut corners that we're going to end up having to pay for later. We see a lot of communities that have a lot of deferred maintenance. We see communities where you know the maintenance team is is working, you know, 90 100 120 hours in a week to facilitate facilitate a turn because there was a lack of planning and um, as an operator, we see that as one of the two riskiest things that we have to execute every year, the first being filling up the community and, and, and protecting top-line revenue. The second riskiest thing that we do as a single exercise is, is the execution of turn. So we take it very, very seriously, and we we uh, address it during the, the, bus- the, the business planning process in the fall, and we start really early in the spring to make sure that we're ahead of the game uh, come turn time.
0: So I, I'm going to go off the cuff really quick and ask you a question that I didn't prep you for (laughs) this year you guys did turn a little bit differently Brad with with trying to centralize that and you and I've had some follow-up discussions on that and since we do have so many folks here that are you know kind of more scattered site type operators what did you learn from that
2: sure so to kind of back up a little bit Historically, what we've done is taken our you know uh, corporate level folks and put them into the market during turn. You know, taking folks that have been through a bunch of turns, I know a lot about turn, and leverage them into a specific market to, to to assist. Well, we have more markets now than we have people at the corporate office to to go in there. So we thought, hey, let's let's take the knowledge base that we have, the um, experience with turn, and centralize it and try to leverage across multiple markets. So we created this concept of C top centralized turn operations where we handled centrally. A lot of the communications, the organization, um, updating of turn boards, essentially, uh, so that your on-site staff could concentrate on the things that you can't, which is inspect apartments. They're not doing paperwork. They're not doing a lot of texting. They're not attached to their phones as much. They're spending time in the apartments, making sure that they are painted well and cleaned well. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, we learned a lot. It went pretty
0: good. Um,
2: <laughs> I think the, uh, it was a lot. So there we'll, was a lot we'll of information coming into when one I, Central when location. I ask you this. Yeah. So
0: are you going to do it again
2: that way next year? We're going to make a couple changes. <laughs> yeah, we, we took on a little bit too much. It was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, but uh, th- I think the good thing that came out of that is that it works. Like you can be a resource remotely during turn. We tried to be too much of a resource during turn, yeah. and it was just it was really hard. But um, yeah, with tweaks, I think it'll be better.
0: Gotcha. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking your your time out from being at the conference here in new orleans to to some time here and create some some great uh, insight for our uh, not only our attendees here at the live recording but also um, for the audience that's listening to it after the fact so thanks for I know it's late. Eddie had some crazy um, uh, flight alterations. <laughs> that have happened over the past 24 hours. So I know both of you guys are extremely tired, but I appreciate you guys sticking it out and and, um, helping us with this. I think we've all got a lot that we can take away from it. And to everybody that joined us for dinner, thanks so much. Um, And if you would, please give these guys a round of applause. Thank you, guys. So uh, there you have it. I I, I know the intro is pretty short because I wanted to I wanted to get into that and and make sure everybody had a chance to listen to it, because I think there's some key takeaways that Greta, you and I have have. You know, after I've even though I was there, I've gone back and listened to it, obviously, through the editing process <laughs> and, and, and you know, even hearing it now, you know, once again, it's it's one of those things that uh, I take something a little different each time away from it. So what what, what are some of the things you took away?
1: Um, there, there were things that I, well, one, it's so funny. It's not even was like a takeaway. I loved the, the overall energy that was coming out of the room, which isn't even a part of the actual like guest. And I get that, but I had to kind of mention it because I loved, I loved that you could, that this event was created. So huge, obviously shout out to Kristen. So I know that you, that was mentioned in your very long rant. Um, but I wanted to bring that up just because I thought it was really great. And I feel like it's kind of palpable, and I think that that adds to the overall listen and story of what was going on. But additionally, it's—I mentioned this in the beginning, which was that I I love walk to campuses setup. There's a couple of things that I really love about what they're doing that is different than what everybody else is doing. And you kind of said one of my favorite terms that I think really—I've said it a million times. I'm going to keep saying it until I die. Apparently, which that I think that the biggest place that we as an industry, I think hospitality, I think a Lot you know, multifamily that a lot of places need to start focusing in on and turning their heads to as you know, as my my generation Gen Z's coming up is this very boutique mentality. And Walk to Campus is focusing on that. They realized that a long time ago, and it it really is. It's it's a thing, and it's. I think that it's a great model and focusing on these small little areas and, and really doing it up and doing it well and having great locations, I think is the way to go. And so that was, that was that first one that I was really kind of excited about. And obviously that doesn't in any way take away from my love for Cardinal and everything that they do. It's just, you know, it's two completely different business models and everything that Cardinal does obviously is incredible as well. So it's just two completely different things, which is one of the things that I absolutely loved about the fact that, like I said, that these two companies were brought together to bring all of this genius kind of at once.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I do think a lot of the folks that have been focusing on the type of of product that Walter to Campus typically has, especially what they started out with, because they, they have migrated more to the, um, you know, to the larger properties because it just takes that. When they got started um, you know, it was a different climate. It was before it was before 2000, 2008, 2009 and, and the Great reset, Recession. So buying up these single family homes, you know, was a lot easier then than what it is today. And, and that's kind of how I first got introduced to these guys and doing some doing some scouting work to help them find, you know, some other markets to, to go into and, and, you know, really kind of looking at, you know, how they could get to, you know, to a new market and immediately have. 50 to 100 beds, you know, because that's what it was going to take for it to be worthwhile for them. And but I think a lot of there's a lot of groups and we certainly saw it by those that were present at this event that they were originally focused just on one market, kind of their home market. And, you know, maybe they went to school there. Maybe they, you know, maybe they ended up living there and, and just ended up having an investment property and just kind of grew it from from that standpoint, so I think what Walt the campus, you know, just having walked the campus there, and what Brad was talking about, I think really resonated with a lot of them, and and I think that's why it would resonate with a lot of our our general podcast audience as well, because you know it's not just bootstrapping. It's also, you've got to find a lot of answers because a lot of the, I know we're going to talk about technology here in just a second. And, you know, that's one thing alone, like a a lot of the big box uh, management software companies that are out there don't even really provide a good solution for, you know, that type of portfolio. And so, there's there's other things that you've got to completely bootstrap from an operation standpoint. And so I think it was I think it was good hearing that. What were your thoughts on the fact that Walt to Campus has their own property management software and have been developing that?
1: You and I both know that question is a hundred percent a full setup. Because <laughs> here's the thing, here, dear audience, let me break. Let me let you let you know something. So it wasn't mentioned in the beginning. Now that everybody knows that I'm in school, for those of you that are still here with us for the outro, thanks for hanging around. Welcome to Wes and Greta's After Hours. Um, I'm going to school for software engineering, and a big, big part of that is Wes knows. So what well, we're going you gotta, on? You,
0: you got to stop and just let the audience kind of consume that and absorb that and marinate well, on that. don't
1: feel like there. the audience is going to be surprised by this information at all. This is the same it's person who's on like the science of marketing and I'm about data and where's the technology and where like this is literally well, nobody's going to be surprised by this information. I would be shocked yeah, if anybody surprised are, by this it,
0: like you know to to know how well you are you know in in kind of reading people and understand how to market to people um, because yes I understand perfectly because I've worked so close with you that you know I know that you're you know you're bringing in that data to help you make those those decisions but I think for a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably don't realize that about yourself and
1: well, yeah, it
0: just takes a minute to think about.
1: Here's, it you know, really just comes from the place of when I want to know something, I want to know something. It's just really that simple, and I want to know how to make all software. And so the goal is to have full stack developing. Abilities by the time I'm done. And that means being able to build an app, being able to build software, being able to do front end, back end. It's a whole thing. And that came about. So Brad,
0: there you go. If you're listening, I know you're going to be listening to this podcast at some point, <laughs> Tom. You've got your next developer in the pocket right here.
1: <laughs> but that, I mean, that came about. You have to, in my whole journey, may, you know, it all makes sense. It's, you know, coming up from the leasing side and managing facilities teams and managing a property and then really a lot on the leasing policies, operations and all of that side. And then, yeah, over to marketing and the science of marketing and analytics and all of that. And to me, and so I had, you know, I completely implemented Intrada in, you know, two and three different instances, you know, was a whole part of that process and have worked with almost every software that's out there. And, you know, there was a whole entire period of time where I was like, I just want to make the software, and so yeah. I had that project going when you and I worked together for how long? Where I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make it. I'm just, I'm just gonna at least make a portion of it. It's fine. I've got this. It's fine. And it was a whole thing because I was so frustrated because everybody wants to be able to meet our needs as best as they can. We all know. They unfortunately cannot. And you want something that's intuitive. You want it to make sense. You want it to have a beautiful interface. You want the reports that are going to pull all of the information that we so desperately, desperately need. And you want that information to be easy and understandable. You want, you just want this information and it isn't all there in one product yet. And it's because it hasn't been created for us. None of these products were created for us. And I was just like, well, fine, I'm just going to do it myself. And so when he said that, he was like, no, we just made our own. I was like, oh, he just, he just said those words. (laughs) I need to meet this man. (laughs) <laughs> because he did that, and I don't understand why I haven't met you, <laughs> and I need to see what you created. So that I need that I need all of these things to happen. Thanks. So well, yeah, that's and where I, have I was. Seen at. It. That was that was my takeaway. Those those were the things that happened.
0: Yeah, I have seen it. Uh, you know, and when, when he says there's there's no ego, I mean he's exactly right. I mean he pulled me in to give some advice on on um, how to create the the turnboard that they ended up developing with inside that software. And because of that, I know it's unlike anything else out there that uh, the other software companies have, you know, say that they've got a turnboard, but it's really not built for student housing. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess this is a point where I'll probably make an announcement. I should make the announcement of something we've decided to do. Um, I love our sponsors at, at SHI. Um, we're changing up some things. I've, you know, I said in our 2020 roadmap, uh, uh, I guess is the best way to call it podcast. That you know, I, I gave a little background about sponsors and you know how we how we feel about it, how we go through that process of selecting them, and it's really about sharing that mission statement uh, of making student housing better. And I'm not saying that you know, the, the other big groups that are out there right now, you know, don't ha- don't share that mission, but I see a lot of things that I'm very concerned about. And I think putting the SHI stamp on either one of them by having them as a sponsor. Now, don't get me wrong. You can exhibit at our, at our events, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of specification <laughs> as far as exhibiting. and So you, you could very well see, you know, a, a real page or a, and try to set up at, at one of our events, but they're not going to be in a, in a sponsorship situation because um, I've just decided that that's these platforms are so specific to you know what is happening in regards to the, a business model that I've really accepted kind of what Brad has accepted. And I, it's easy for me because I've kind of seen how he's evolved it over the past decade and a half. But if anyone was going to ask me what they need to do, that's what they really need to do. They're going to be serious about how they're approaching their company. They need to figure that out because I don't think any big box group that's out there that all they're focused on is selling more software. I don't know that they're necessarily going to be the best match. I may be completely wrong about that, but that's just...
1: I mean, or everybody can just wait for me to graduate, and I will make it, and it will be fine. All right, it will. Yeah, but there's
0: always there's always going to be something that somebody needs tweak somewhere, and you know, look, I've said on these you know, these boards for, you know, voting on what enhancements need to be prioritized. And
1: that's true. Uh, Waiting for that kind of stuff to happen is really, really annoying. I yeah. actually, there's someone else that I'm working with and they're working with a completely different type of software. And I'm like, Oh God, you're always, there's always little tiny tweaks that you need that then you have to make a request for an enhancement. And it's like, no, I understand that not ever, but we do, <laughs> this is something that we can't possibly be the only one. And it is, I get it. You know, it's it requires a whole huge process, but damn it, it's important.
0: <laughs> exactly, and I. At, so the, I get the other it. Thing, it's valid. The other thing is is looking at uh, you know I, I know how thin some of these. When you start thinking about okay, where can we add to the NOI? You know, if we're about to go into a recession, or if we're, you know if this is going to happen in this specific market, you know, and we're going to have 10%, 15% vacancy for the next 2 years. You know, what are we going to do on the expense side to, you know, try to overcome that? And when it comes to being able to to write your own ticket as far as as far as your software platform is confirmed is concerned, I think that gives you way more control over it than getting something that's that's out of the box and you're contracted with a bunch of different bunch of services that you don't even need. And anyway, that's that's my my feeling on it.
1: Well, and I think that I mean not to spend too inter- like too terribly much time on the subject, but I think to a lot of people, it sounds mm-hmm. like a really overwhelming, daunting, or you know, just type of situation where it's like you don't even know where to begin. It's like, well, do we contact a software development company? Do we, you know? So it's like you pull up the Google's, then you're like, hey, Google's. How do I? How do I make the softwares? How do I make this happen? What's the average cost? You know, you just type your question in. You're like, how much is this going to cost? And it's like, well, the average cost to develop a software system is approximately. You know, it's kind of like when we all want to make an app for you know our because that's the other thing. Hi, can we all get a? mean app, please, because holy cow, it kills me. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. In order to, you know, you can also hire a team of a couple of software developers that can develop your app or your software for your company, that can develop an app for your company. And you don't have to, or there's actually an incredible software development company that's right in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are possible. It's really just knowing quite kind of where to start to be able to get that development in process where it's like, you know what you want. You can describe it. They're going to frame it out kind of, you know, window by window, idea by idea, concept by concept, and then take care of it for you. They can also manage it for you if you don't want to have a couple of developers in-house for you. And it, I think that it is something that is financially feasible for a lot of people. It's just knowing where to begin and kind of getting your mind out of that concept that we have to have one of these box developers or development companies.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that I mean, that's kind of my biggest thing from the from the tech side. I mean even even listening to Eddie and kind of knowing what they've gone through with their their biggest push that they've made this this past fall, uh, as it relates to their uh, business intelligence and 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 reporting back end. there's just there's so much to consider and and the point he makes about, you know, not getting attracted by all of the bells and whistles and, and that type of thing. And just really thinking about what's core to your business is so important because I see a lot of people just get, you know, completely sidetracked by some new notification that you can push out and yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So anyway, what, uh what other big takeaways?
1: The last one was more of, it was, it was Eddie was talking, you brought up to her, which by the way, it was so funny to me. As soon as you said it, you were like, "I didn't prep you guys for this question, so I'm just going to throw this curveball at you." And I was like, "Good to know you do that to everyone," because I feel like every like nobody realizes that you really do do this to people. When I'm like, I don't think anybody really like they think this is fake or it's a chick No, Wes really will just be like, "By the way, I'm just going off the cuff, and I'm going to throw this question at you that you're completely ill prepared for." Answer <laughs> it really well, because a lot of people are going to be listening to this. But so I <laughs> loved that you did that, and it made me laugh. Um, but it was funny because Eddie said he was like, you know, we. We put all of this on our facilities team to to Talk ensure about turn. Yes, talking about turns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, sorry, so sorry. So we put this all on our facilities team to trash out the apartment, break down the furniture, rebuild it. And it was funny because I was the only thing the very first thing that came to my mind as soon as he said that was I was thinking about our last ter- our last turn together. And I'm sitting there and I was like and as VP of marketing, definitely not facilities, I'm down there in somebody else's clothes. And out until like after two o'clock in the morning, building furniture because it was an all day event. I was really
0: concerned about where you were going with you were out at two (laughs) o'clock in the morning and someone else is close. And I was like, wait, is she talking about turn or?
1: (laughs) Just realized how that story sounded. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so so Sometimes yeah you I went to a to property all my words sound when i come out of the mountain. and then like i never do <laughs> i never i never stop to think about it i really don't uh so yeah but i thought that was really funny i was like nope definitely no nope. yeah
0: yeah well yeah you went to a property Mm-hmm. Um, not prepared for staying very long <laughs> and ended up removing furniture and being a, a critical point of making sure that the turn actually happened at that property. And that I've been I was just had That's a conversation never, with somebody yeah. the other day remembering That's never weird know, to me though. Yeah, I mean I I packed up to go someplace, you know, for, for a quick visit during turn just to, you know, give some emotional support and, you know, kind of inspect what you expect, as we all say. And needless to say, the expectation um, was not being met. And I had to um, call my wife and said, yeah, I'm not coming home tomorrow. I will see you in a couple of weeks oh. <laughs> so, um yeah things didn't
1: turn out quite as i expected i'm not going to be leaving for a while i feel like we've all made that phone call and it's just like man really oh, yeah. by the way i just remembered actually there was a big takeaway and i i didn't actually you know what hey wes Guess You're going to throw
0: me a curveball. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sorry to do this to you, man, but I'm going to throw you a curveball. Here's something that I completely forgot about. And this was possibly one of the biggest points. So again, hopefully somebody's still here. This was talked about and it was Eddie said that he was talking about the accountability of the company. And I loved that. And what it made me think about, because I've, I've brought this to you before. You and I have actually had this conversation before about something that i has always i've always talked about something that i always end up getting ultimately frustrated with is the level yeah. of accountability that we have and the expectations that we have for our team members but we don't hold ourselves accountable to and yeah i don't i you've heard me say that too i mean like i was literally sitting at your desk one time when i looked at you and i was like really so we expect our team members to do this but then how do we do it on the other side? Are we doing the same thing for them? Are we holding ourselves to that same expectation and standard? Or are we just looking at them and saying, this is what you have to do for us, but we're not actually willing to do this for you. And I think that that's a question that everybody always needs to be willing to ask themselves. Are you asking more of your team members than what you are actually providing to them? Or are you just giving them a paycheck and going, what? What? we pay you to do a job. Uh Uh-huh. And you also ask them for loyalty and notice when they quit. And a lot of times you want more than two weeks and (laughs) you ask for a lot of things and what do you give them in return? And so when he talked about that, that level of accountability, that level, you know, it's like, it goes to respect and professionalism and, you know, tonality, like so many things It goes across the board with every single aspect of it. And when he said that, I was like, that's possibly one of the most important parts. And I'm so sad I didn't say this sooner. But I'm like, this is possibly one of the most important things that was said this whole time. And I had so, so much respect for him for bringing that up. Because I feel like so many people, especially in a position like his, don't even recognize the level of importance that that carries. Yeah, and I just I was like I want to shake your hand for saying that, man.
0: Yeah, like, yeah I could create a whole podcast on that. Oh, not for sure, a, not an episode, uh, a whole you know podcast. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: but like we have um, three minutes, so
0: yeah, so so yeah, I hope I hope everybody got something out of that, and uh, and I believe that you know as I mentioned earlier, I think um, you know when it comes to two companies that have shown steady growth. Over the past you know, decade and a half, I think there's a lot to be a lot to be learned. And both of these guys had a lot to, to share from that standpoint. So I, I, obviously, yeah, uh, you know, I, I wish we could have gotten into more uh, topics. And I, I'm sure both of these guys will end up being on the podcast at, uh, again at some point. So looking forward to, to those discussions as well. Now's a great time to remind everybody about speaking of live events. Our, our summits that are coming up, specifically this spring, we've got some that are coming up this summer, uh, or actually in the fall. We'll talk more about that later. But if you are in Chicago or want to attend an event in Chicago, May twenty sixth, twenty seventh, we are actually going to be at what used to be the Sears Tower. Uh, it's now known as the Willis Tower in Chicago. Uh, Still we Sears are Brown. actually, <laughs> I know it's uh, Willis Tower, like uh, like Sears Tower. <laughs> Is Sears even still operating these days? I don't
1: know. I I genuinely don't. It's just, it's no, I have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, uh, that's going to be the Midwest. Last year, we did the Midwest in Cincinnati. We're going a little further west this time and going to Chicago. So, if you are in that area and want to attend the regional summit, you should go to that one i think um, i'm
1: one. Oh, hey hey guys i will go to that one oh hey hey some, guys i'll go to that one <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've got some really cool things that are coming together for that one i can't wait till to release the um schedule for that and who some of the speakers are going to be and then uh also in june I believe it is june 6 no it's june 16th and 17th we're going to be in phoenix arizona for our western regional summit so if you've been listening to the podcast if you've been listening to us talk about these summits again this is really geared towards on-site and regional level managers and, and employees within student housing don't get me wrong there's there's still you know a lot of c-suite and executive level support level positions that attend these as well and I think there's a lot that you'll get out of it but th- that's really what we're what we're creating these summits for because there's a lot left out there in the conference world to be desired for those particular positions—the regional manager and the site level managers. So, yeah. um, and these are very limited. We are limiting this just to fifty seats. So, if you want to go, you need to you need to register early. There's currently a early bird special in place for Chicago. So, make sure that you get that. That's the other thing. You know, we're talking about this other thing in New Orleans. <laughs> that I'm not going to cross promote. It was over a thousand dollars to go uh, to that particular conference. This is a hundred and forty nine dollars if you sign up. I believe it's before. I want to say it's before St. Patrick's Day. Uh, actually, I think it's April first. Um, so a hundred and forty nine dollars. Uh, you, you're just not going to get. I don't know if anything else you're going to get that type of value for uh, as far as a live event is concerned. And, and so make sure that you're taking advantage of that and and showing up at this event like i said we do expect both of these to to sell out as we've we have limited them to just 50 this year a lot of reasons behind that i won't go into it right now but the main reason is because we wanted to make this something that had a big impact and it has a bigger impact if we've got Less people there <laughs> because we're able to we're able to talk to people and and really get to understand you know what kind of issues they're dealing with how we can better serve them and when it goes into our workshop on the second day that really comes out so we are just limiting this to fifty people so be aware of that as well get get it done early get registration done early also the SHI community important announcements that are going to be coming up and you're going to miss out if if you're not part of the SHI community, go to studenthousinginsight.com, go to the upper right-hand corner and click on Login, and then it'll just take you through the steps for registering for that. That was a lot.
1: That was a lot.
0: I like this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So Greta, as always, thanks for spending some time with us and good luck to everything this semester. I hope we get to talk to you before the end of the semester, but if not,
1: but me too. Um, it's we'll, we'll only February.
0: <laughs> well, guys, thanks again. And we'll talk to you in the next episode.
2: Bye.